we want to be making an impact and we want to help patients who do not have services. We feel like the, the mild population is being served by many companies. And yet, no one is serving the people with severe illnesses. And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. Mental health is a huge topic right now, but often conversations about mental health are mostly about anxiety and depression, not as much about serious illnesses. That's why our guest today, Thomas Sang, is doing what he does. Thomas is the CEO and co-founder of Valera Health, a telemedicine company helping patients with severe mental illnesses as well as mild ones. Thomas is also a former senior healthcare advisor to the governor of Hawaii and has directed national medical programs. And as someone who came from an unprivileged background, it is important to Thomas that people have access to essential medical services. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you, Thomas, for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me, Christine. And so I thought I've been watching the journey that you've been doing with Valera Health. It's been amazing. And I look at your experience. It's almost like you designed it all along to start Valera. But can you share with us about your journey, not just your career journey, but also what are your personal experience that shape who you are today and give you the passion to start yeah. Valera Health. Thank you, Christine. Well, you know, I, I have not purposely hidden this, but not a whole lot of people have asked me actually. And, but I, but I love to share this piece of me that not a whole lot of people know. Um, so I came to this country from Hong Kong in 1974 um, with uh, four other siblings. And one night in Hong Kong, um, you know, my mom was taking care of five kids. We were living essentially in a shack with no running water, very little electricity in the outer, like, hills in Hong Kong. Remember, this is 1970, so there's... It wasn't as modernized as now. And in the middle of the night, my, some man appeared, and it turned out to be my father. And I did not know who my father was until I was five years old. He was in the United States sending money to my mom to take care of us. And he came back to bring us over to the U.S. And he finally got his green card and his immigration papers and he, you know, his sponsorship. So we came in 1974 and there were, and then soon after that, my little sister was born and there were eight of us in a three bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. Um, and I didn't know a single word of English until fourth grade. And neither of my parents uh, are literate in Chinese. They never went to school in China. So they're completely, completely 
uneducated and illiterate in both English and, and Chinese. And so that experience has really helped me understand what's it like not to have resources and not to have health insurance. We didn't have health insurance. I didn't have health insurance until I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And that experience, you know, when we were sick, we basically went to the doctor in Chinatown and we paid cash for the visits. And we had to also negotiate with the doctor how much we could afford and the antibiotics or whatever medicines he gave to us also. So that absolutely kind of give me gave me insight on what uh, immigrants and also lots of communities and residents and Americans who are underinsured and don't have access to healthcare, what it feels like the first 18 years of my life. Wow, it's it's interesting because you know when I hear stories before about the same experience that you had, but it was referred to something. This is what happened in India, and people, majority of people in America probably did not think that you have to negotiate with your medical doctor about what medication that you should get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not again. Not a whole lot of people kind of know this about me, and. Um, I think some some people just make an assumption that just because you have an MD behind your name and that you're running a startup that you came from a you know a privileged background or came from a a set of parents who had PhDs or or college degrees and and um, that's uh, really far from reality of what what I grew up with and so you know it's it's always having that humble perspective of um, the things that are the most basic and fundamental in your in your life, um, and not having them, and what are the the downstream consequences, mm -hmm. and seeing you know your not just your family but your friends and family, uh, and and the people around you in your community go through such hardship just to get the basic healthcare needs taken mm -hmm. care of, and and that kind of led to. Um, uh, you know, finishing high school, but being accepted by a, a seven-year BSMD program that would combine college and med school. Um, but the but that program was basically free and was open to uh, interurban kids, so that they could train doctors to go back to the community. And that was the program that I got accepted to, and that was the program that I finished. And I, and I think really along the journey was this, this this kind of environment that nurtured this interest in public health and access to care. And so with, you had that personal experience, probably as many immigrant kids whose parents don't speak English, and you have to navigate along for them and maybe for your younger siblings as well. Um, and then being in a place, uh, studying in a place that's the focus in a public health, what are the things that you learn from it that become your core, at, you know, almost like your compass along the way? Of course, it changed. You add more things, but then I'm sure from that experience, you have something that stay mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to 
impact the community and be and be useful and have a mission for the community. And that's that I think that carried over from my early days growing up in Chinatown. Um, and I finished residency in the Bronx in internal medicine, but I ended up, my first job was going back to Chinatown and running a, the residency program for internal medicine residents working side by side in Chinatown and then, and then being recruited by um, Charles V. Wine Community Health Center, which is a federally qualified health center serving the Asian immigrant population. Um, and that was another, uh, you know, five years. Um, and that's, and that's led to this, uh, uh, stint in, in Congress and in, in the Ways and Means Committee working on the Affordable Care Act. So really the trajectory all along has been focused on, um, health disparities, community health, public health, and access to care issues. And so what did ex- your, that experience uh, that you brought along when you're being part of the means and is that the word means and subcommittee on the U.S. health, uh, part of the Congress? Um, that was a little bit of luck. That was being at the right time at the right place. And when uh, I didn't know, when I applied to the program, which is sponsored by the RWJA Foundation and the Institute of Medicine, I didn't know who was going to win the presidency, whether it was John McCain (laughs) or Barack Obama. I applied blindly and we didn't know, of course, until late November, you know, until November after election day, but we were accepted. I was accepted into the program by September, October, and I committed to the program. I think it was just chance and luck that, um, you know, Obama won and, and the two biggest pieces of legislation impacting healthcare um, was the first year of his term. The, you know, the, the, um, it was the stimulus package. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, it was the Affordable Care Act. And the stimulus package had the the monies directed towards helping hospitals and doctors implement and adopting electronic health records, and then the Affordable Care Act. So as a congressional staffer, I was able to be part of the process of developing the ACA, and that was such an honor and, and a privilege to be part of that process. And probably because you're part of that process, you can, I mean, I remember when they passed the bill, there's like thousands of pages. So it's hard for any human being to uh, to understand the whole thing. But maybe because you're part of the process, you got to know a lot of the ins and the outs and what's possible and what was not quite yeah, possible. Yeah, I, I was coming, I was, you know, the House Ways and Means side was on the, on the House side. And I was, there was a team of folks working together from all the, the four major committees it was the the, uh, the ways and means side, uh, energy and commerce, house finance, and uh, and Senate help, and but it was a very um, you know it was it was a process where things were dissected and discussed throughout uh, the entire uh, 
you know, the two houses and and uh, input from stakeholders were brought in. So it was a very, it was certainly an eye opener. I was one of the few doctors who was a staff member. So mm -hmm. that also helped give some input in the process. Yeah, it's interesting because I felt like when you're the doctor, as you said, it's not that many doctors who are part of the, the team. Uh, and I guess you must have the interest to, like, let's try something new. <laughs> <laughs> to apply for that role. Um, the, the program is still in existence. It's one of the, I think, pride and joy of, of the RWJ uh, Foundation and its human capital portfolio, taking mid-career individuals and giving them an opportunity to work in Congress and, and help with give input to legislation and policy making and groom them to be, you know, the uh, healthcare leader for the next generation. Um, and the program is still running and, you know, it's, it's a bipartisan program and, uh, I think it gives a, it's a huge, uh, opportunity for mid-career individuals to go through that who are interested in policy work. Yeah. And so from that, you have, and then you had the opportunity to work at Merck, which is a large company, before you started this whole uh, Valera Health. Like, how do you jump from like being in a big corporation? Because oftentimes when you're in a big corporation, it's kind of nice, cushy job. You don't really feel the need to go to startup. Um, I, I think in hindsight, I think... Uh, an optimal career trajectory would be one-third public service, one-third private sector, and then one-third community service. And I thought, you know, I've never been in the private sector whatsoever. My early work at Chinatown Health Clinic and and running the residency, it's kind of considered like a nonprofit work. And then my government work was exactly that, civil service and government work. And so I was really intrigued at the Merck opportunity to be in a global position, to work on innovations because of the things I learned in Congress uh, and, uh, and bringing the, the knowledge of health technology into the kind of like the frontier of of pharmaceutical work. And so that was quite an experience. I learned a lot. Um, but ultimately, I wanted to move faster and wanted to do my own thing. <laughs> it was just my nature. And so that's when I decided to launch Valera. So what, I mean, have you had this idea all along? Have you seen the needs all along? Or you just say that this is an area that I'm always interested and this is where I want to... Pursue. Absolutely not. I mean, it's it's something, I think most of my life, it's really things pop up through serendipity and through chance. And I think it's a convergence of chance and luck and timing. Um, I did not plot this or think of this. It was just... Uh, a chance meeting with my co-founder, Ofer Sharon, who was part of Merck Israel. 
And, uh, and then we started talking about technology and what technology can do for healthcare. And, and so that's, that's when we decided that um, maybe there's an opportunity to bring technology into mental health. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a good segue for uh, you to, to tell us what is Valera Health? What does it do? How is it different from any other technology out there right. to serve right. mental right. health? So we're a virtual mental health service providing comprehensive services to a wide range of conditions running from mild depression, anxiety, all the way through uh, severe illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorders. Um, We also provide service to a broad range starting in some markets, starting at the age of six, all the way up to above 90. Um, And... Uh, many of our patients have been with us for longer than 14 months. So we're, we act much more like a longitudinal private practice model. Um, and the differentiators is the fact that we actually see people with severe schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Um, very, very few other companies do that. Our population right now is over 50% of them come from BIPOC communities. And many of them have government insurance. So we also accept 99% of our visits right now have patients using the healthcare benefits and health plans. And many of the companies out there do not accept health plans. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, Turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. So, like you said, many of other company or technology are serving more than mild mental illness, but not the severely mental illness patient population. Why go there? Probably it's not an easy patient population to serve to begin with. That's why many people probably avoid it. <laughs> right. Right, absolutely. And and I think this is the connection between my past personal experiences and and to our mission is we want to be making an impact and we want to help patients who do not have services. We feel like the the mild population is being served by many companies. And yet no one is serving the people with severe illnesses. And we want to make a difference. It's as simple as that. We want to be there to help these people. And we think these patients are not getting the help that they need, especially during the pandemic. Uh, We launched our service July 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And we've analyzed our data And in New York, 
we're serving patients. A majority of patients live in mental health shortage areas as defined by the government. And we're able to reach these people who otherwise would not get care anyone else. And so educate me a little bit. When, when I think about the mental illness is oftentimes you can go individual, um, help you with some CBD therapy and maybe uh, meditation. Um, but when it comes to schizophrenia and bipolar, it seems hard to imagine that that kind of uh, illness can be treated through virtually. It seems hard to imagine for me. Right. Well, it is, and we're doing it, and we're doing it with great outcomes and great adherence. Patients with severe disease need medications. They need to find the right combination of medications. Um, They also need therapy, and they need potentially social services. Um, But they need stability. They need an infrastructure that will give them access to care. And so almost 30% of our visits are um, of patients with an SMI condition. Mm -hmm. So walk me through, if I have the SMI condition, I joined the Valera platform, and then what happened? What's the journey like for me? So you'll see most likely... Um, a medication prescriber, either a nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist. You'll be get assigned a case manager who we have as a full-time employee. Um, and most likely you'll also get a therapist. So it's a, it's a multidisciplinary approach. And you'll be seen on, either on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, depending on whether it's therapy versus medication. The case manager will touch base with you to make sure everything is okay. Make sure that uh, you're also going to get some blood tests. Um, and, uh, and most of the stuff can be done through a virtual model. And I think that, um, do, so all your you know case manager, you said, is, that's employee of uh, Valerha Health. So I assume the other uh, healthcare uh, providers also part of your larger employee. Network, right. Okay. Right. They're also employees. Most of them are employees. Okay. And as a payer side, you know, sometimes when something new, like, oh, how could you uh, help patient with SMI? Uh, and yet they do. I mean, they pay. Uh, you take health insurance from them. So what uh, evidence do you have to show them? We present the, the health plans, our health outcomes. We're, I think we're one of the few companies that use a measurement approach. And we use the technology to really measure how patients feel. Um, we also use national quality metrics and measure our providers and make sure that they're, you know, abiding by the highest standards. And uh, we present the data back to the health Mm -hmm. plans. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to, I know we are coming short on time. I just want to make sure I ask the question. Um, 
So all this, you know, because you said that you launched in July 2020 during the pandemic, it's uh, good timing and bad timing to start a company or as to launch a, a technology. Uh, what are the lessons learned that throughout this journey that you've, if I have to, you have to redo it, what would you do it differently? Or things that you feel like this is going to work really well and this is what I'm going to keep on doing. Yeah. Um, you, as an as a entrepreneur, you need to have tenacity and you need to be really have strong faith. Um, you're going to have a lot of people who say no in the beginning and you just have to keep on going at it. Um, you know, we grew... Uh, before July of 2020, we were less than 15 people. And now on the corporate side, we've um, almost uh, 7x that. Wow. So in, in a short 20 months, we, we grew really, really rapidly. And so um, you need to find the right people and the right talent to surround yourself um, and... Um, and bring in skill sets that you don't necessarily have. And you can't do this all alone and you have to do it as a team. And uh, I assume when you started Belera Health, many of your patient population you mentioned are in New York area. Is it, Mm -hmm. is it, I assume it's just expanded beyond New York. We're in seven states now. And, And we did that over the last 12 months. And do you feel that every state is different? It's slightly different. It's slightly different. I mean, the, the, it's the same concerns by the populations, but some of the partnerships are different. Some of the health, you know, some of the health plans obviously are different. And so those drive some of the processes and, and, uh, and how we kind of expand into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So last question. Um, I must have imagined your parents never thought this is the journey that you would. And as being from Hong Kong, everybody's entrepreneur. Um, they must be like, hey, my kid is entrepreneurial. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say... Yeah, my my actually both of my parents died um in twenty twenty, right, during COVID. Um uh my dad was ninety-five and my mom was uh eighty-five. And you know, my dad when it was kind of like the typical American immigrant story, he uh was working in a Chinese restaurant in the kitchen and they really didn't understand why I didn't have a private practice and and <laughs> And they said, you know, why can't you just be like all the other doctors and just have your own private practice and see patients? You know, why are you dealing with all this, all this sort of other stuff? <laughs> they they didn't understand it, but but um, I think it was uh, you know they 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 let me be my own individual, and uh, and I think that was good. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I think sometimes uh, some parents can be controlling in terms of what the kids can and cannot do. And I think I always felt if your parents let you chase whatever that's good for you, it's, it's a blessing to have. 
Yeah. And yeah. 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 And and considering the the background that they had, you know, they gave me as much as they could. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's great. As a great immigrant story. Thank so. you. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you, Christine, for having me. Thank you so much, and have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.